milestone. My supporters on Patreon have officially paid off my podcast hosting and streaming costs for last year. Thank you all so much. Now to pay off this year. But really, the current goals still are, if more people donate, I can get text transcripts up faster and pay for better sound by way of software and equipment. To donate, just go to patreon.com slash pioslabs. And I know that sounds weird, so I'll spell it out. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash p-i-o-s-l-a-b-s. And if you pledge certain levels, I'll give you a shout out on air and or online as a thank you. And I'll give you a code to get my ebook, Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games. So again, thanks to all my current Patreon supporters. And if you're not one, please check out patreon.com slash Pios Labs. It's June 12th, 2017, and this is the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. How do you help get students to see themselves as an engineer? Questions like this one have interested Dr. Renato Ravello for years. Dr. Ravello is an electrical engineer and currently a professor and engineering education researcher at the University of Illinois at Chicago. I'm your host, Pius Wong. I recently spoke to Dr. Ravello to get her take on these issues. During the previous podcast episode, I spoke to an expert on ways to teach engineering to Hispanic students and other communities in K through 12. As a follow-up, Today's guest talks about her research on Hispanic college students and their participation in the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, or SHIP, abbreviated SHPE. Her findings and ideas have implications for all students. So my name is Renata Ferrello. I am a clinical assistant professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago in the electrical and computer engineering department. Um, my area of research is in engineering education, so I'm in this department. Uh, my primary focus is teaching. So I teach a senior design class and electromagnetics class, but then I have projects uh, where I work on and think about engineering education research around um, success of underrepresented students in engineering. Yeah, I saw some of your research. You've written a couple papers and you do a lot of work on how identity as an undergraduate might affect retention, um, especially if you're an engineer. Can you talk a little bit about some of that? Yeah, definitely. So um, some of the work that I've done around identity, um, when we talk about identity, uh, I just wanted to start off by saying that um, we're talking about various different ways in which people identify themselves. So social identities is uh, the focus of a lot of my work, but then also how they are identified by the, the society around them and the people around them. So specifically for um, the work that I've done um, has to do with how students identify as engineers. And I look at the, well, for one of my studies, I looked at Latinas and Latinos and how they identify as engineers uh, while they're in college. What issues do Latinas and Latinos face when it comes to identity as engineers? So one of the things that we see from the literature is the importance of identity in regards to sense of belonging, right? So feeling like you belong within this um, culture of engineering, that you belong in your department, that you belong in the major in your college is really important to um, staying in engineering. 
so uh, some of the things that uh, we see in terms of um, the barriers that Latina and Latina students might face, if you will, in uh, getting their engineering degree is uh, this concept that others have come up with, which um, is termed chilly climate, although for women of color, for example, uh, so in this case it would be Latina women, they would call it icy climate. So it's this idea where students uh, who are very well prepared for succeeding in engineering, you know, on paper, um, they would feel like they would otherwise not belong in the department. So this chilly climate where uh, they might um, feel like they're being stereotyped, um, that they don't have any role models, right? So maybe other peers in their departments uh, or professors or even staff that look like them. Um, and and um, they might even have just negative experiences with peers or with professors that leads to this kind of climate that makes it difficult for students to um, to stay in the major. And I noticed you also researched a little bit about what helps mitigate the effects of that chilly or icy climate. Um, you did some research, for example, on on professional organizations that students can, can get involved with, right? I was wondering yes. if you could uh, explain some of that. Sure, sure. So I looked at, um, well, the, the main study looks at one specific professional organization, but I think there is probably a lot of parallels that can be drawn from this organization to other organizations like it. So the organization that I'm talking about is the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Um, so this is the uh, the largest national organization for Latina Latino engineers in the United States. And um, at the university level, uh, the, this organization, students can create their own chapter. So there are student chapters all over the country uh, for students to be part of this organization. And so what I found through my study was that by being a member of this organization, students were able to engage upon things that help them develop their engineering identity in a way that is not currently reflected in the literature of engineering identity. Uh, that way being by having these role models, right? So seeing other engineering students, other engineering professionals. So one of the main ways in which they do that is at the national conference where they meet, I believe last year the national conference was over 3,000 people in attendance. Hmm. by having a community and um, by doing things within the community. So as being part of this organization, uh, students engage in projects uh, where they work with middle school and high school students on, you know, inciting them to be part of STEM. I mean, engineering, of course, but STEM generally. Um, and then by being peers with one another. Yeah, that's interesting that you you touched on how uh, SHPE also works with K-12. I was wondering, since it's a professional organization, I guess high school students can't join, but how would younger students or teachers in K-12 get involved in these groups if they wanted to help kids foster that identity? Sure, yeah. So actually, high school students can join. Oh, they can. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so they, so this organization, right, so we understand, and I say we because I also volunteer at the national level for the organization. Okay. Um, it, it, so the importance of K-12 is um, well understood. So actually, I work on, I, I volunteer for the K-12 portion of the national conference. 
So I'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but how high school students can be involved is they have chapters at the high school levels. These chapters have to be connected to a university chapter. So um, as long as there is that connection, they can be created and they're called SHIP Junior Chapters. Okay. Well, that's great. And I guess they, that teachers can just Google that and find it if they have it locally? The information, yeah, should be okay. all on their, on their website. Um, and, and the best way to go about it, in my opinion, would be to seek out a SHIP chapter at the university nearby where they're at and see if, if there's a connection already there, meaning there's already a SHIP junior chapter in place. And if not, you know, ways in which that can be, that can be created. Thank you. And um, so I know your research is more at the university level. Uh, mm -hmm. But I was speaking with Dr. Alex Mejia, and and you're you know him. You're the one who pointed me to him. He mm -hmm. he does a lot of research in K twelve, and he explained that in K twelve, they there's a big push for culturally responsive education, and not of course just for Latinas or Latinos, but for for many groups of kids. So so people recognize that that's important. I was wondering after his conversation, if universities also uh, value or, or want culturally responsive education in engineering? Yeah, I so I would say that in my opinion, yes. In my opinion, that the connection to culture is one that can be also drawn to a connection to identity. So in my opinion, you know, it makes sense to discuss engineering in light of um, the different cultures that are represented in the classroom because it would help students make more meaningful connections to the major that would then help them develop their engineering identity and um, persist in the major. Uh, now, I, I so while I think yes, and well, I'll give you an example of one way in which I'm trying to do it in my senior design class, I, I don't think this is very um, prevalent throughout the nation. I think there's um, people who are doing it uh, at various levels of the curriculum. So at the first year level, I've seen a lot of examples where culturally responsive uh, pedagogy is being used to include, uh, you know, the diversity that exists in the classroom mm -hmm. in the curriculum. Uh, so in the first year types of classes, students get a sense of generally what is engineering about. So it makes it very easy to discuss engineering from the perspective of not just, you know, examples from the United States or Western cultures, but other cultures that may be represented in the classroom. Mm. So one way in which I am I'm trying to do this this semester is with my senior design class, where from my research, of course, I learned that for Latin and Latino students, being part of the community through their engineering work was really important. Now, I am at a Hispanic-serving institution, so um, in my classes, I do have good representation of Latina and Latino students. Mm -hmm. And so for, for my senior design class, um, we are, it is modeled after Purdue's EPICS program, where they do work with community organizations, uh, design work. So we, the students in my class this semester, they're working on their engineering design project, which is their 
capstone project, right? Like the big project they do before they graduate as engineers. Um, normally they would do this by thinking about a problem themselves and then trying to solve that problem and then designing a system to solve that problem. Whereas in this class, again, modeled after the Purdue's program Epics, they are, the students are working with a nonprofit uh, community organization that on a problem that they've presented to be important to them, to the organization. And so the students are working closely with them to kind of come up with solutions for that problem. Wow. One, one thing that differentiates it from the program that I was talking about after which it's modeled is that for this particular um, class and sort of connected to culturally responsive education, um, the the importance of sort of social and critical consciousness and developing that is is uh, should be addressed. So in the design class, the we I we chose the community organizations that have a social justice vision, uh, vision or mission to them, so that we can talk about I issues of social and critical consciousness in engineering, in design, and how the students are working with. Uh, these organizations. What's been the student response to that? Sure, yeah. Um, well, we do reflections. You know, they submit reflections on a weekly basis, and um, all of the students are really excited that they get to work with um, what they consider a real client, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and so we talk about, um, you know, we, we consider things around expertise. So the students get a chance to draw from their own expertise in terms of design, but to also draw from the expertise of the community partners, right? Technical and then um, non-technical. Mm -hmm. So they really enjoy that process. Uh, so, so far, so good, but uh, they get to implement the whole thing next semester. So, uh, you know, there's still some time to see how these things are going to turn out. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a real engineering problem. So good luck to them. <laughs> You know, the, I, I have, do have more questions about it. I'm curious, um, I guess that's, is that an electrical engineering course or? Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm wondering how do you find, cause, cause this sounds like something that would be really interesting to many professors and teachers even in high school engineering courses. How do you pair up the right organization with, say, the right group of students? Yeah. Yeah. That is a, that is a good question because, um, getting, um, getting in touch with community partners was a challenge on its own um, because I'm I'm not from Chicago myself and ma the majority of my students are from the area. So I wanted to make sure the students worked with people around the areas where they lived, right? So actually I, I had to, I, I worked with two um, amazing um one undergrad and one grad student. And so the undergrad, she had connections with community organizations in the Chicago area. So she was really key and she's in chemistry, you know, she's not in engineering, but she, she was really interested in making these connections and sort of helping with this class. So she was really key in sort of us having access to um, inviting these community partners to be part of this project. With, as far as pairing the students with these community partners, you know, it really came to um, discussing what each of these community partners were about. Uh, so we went through that in the first couple of weeks of classes and then what problems they were presenting. And then we left it up to the students. Uh, 
I think the majority of students were partnered with their first choice of uh, community partners, so it kind of worked out this semester, but yeah. it was really a challenge to um, create these partnerships first and then also sort of set up the problem so that it could have um, solutions in electrical and computer engineering. I see. Okay. So it does sound like it, it's still significant work, but if someone can pull it off, there's really, really big rewards. I would say so, yes. Okay. So I know that you're very busy, so I don't have that many more questions. I'm just wondering if uh, if you have any final thoughts or tips that you might be able to give to teachers of engineering of, of younger students. Yeah, so um, I, I'll just, I guess maybe I'll put in the plug for the, the pre-college conference that I was alluding to earlier. So SHIP on a national level, and I'm willing to bet that other organizations do this as well. Um, so at the national conference, the main focus historically has been around undergraduate students. So um, putting together workshops to help them succeed or whatnot. But um, there is also a um, pre-college um, branch to the conference, and it's free to students. Of course, the conference takes place in different places every year. This year is going to be in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're around that area or if you are able to travel to that area during the conference, which happens in November, um, you know, you it, it's free. So as long as you have a way to getting there, it's one whole day of workshops uh, for uh, engineering types of activities. That sounds excellent. I think teachers should definitely check that out if they can make it over there. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Revelo, And uh, I hope that teachers follow your advice. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Check out this episode's show notes for links to Dr. Renata Ravello's bio, her research, and the Purdue Epics program that she mentioned today. Let me know what you think about the show. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Follow and tweet the show on Twitter at K12Engineering, or you can do the same to me at Pius Wong. Learn more about the show on Facebook, on the Engineering Education subreddit, and more places. Find details at the show's website, k12engineering.net. Our closing music is from Late for School by BleepTor under a Creative Commons attribution license. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of Pios Labs, and you can support Pios Labs at www.patreon.com slash Labs. Hey, some short musings for the post-show notes today. I had mentioned before, I'll say it again, we've started a new project called Improv PD, or Improv Professional Development. And there's a website that summarizes what it is. You can check it out right now. It's improvpd.com. But the gist of it is that we are training professionals in uh, professional concepts by way of improv. My colleague Rachel and I, we've done this already with a lot of different people, teachers, and engineers alike. The tricky thing is that I don't know if we're just preaching to the choir, you know, like the people who have been coming to our trainings before, maybe they're just already natural improvisers. Maybe they're already embracing failure and collaboration and they've, they've got no problems thinking up new ideas. So they probably wouldn't necessarily need improv training, you know, and maybe the people who need it most are the most skeptical 
of this kind of thing. Like the person who's the least creative, most averse to risk and failure, least collaborative, they're the ones who would be most offended by the idea of improv-based training in engineering concepts or in education concepts, you know? So I don't know if we can actually reach people who need this. Maybe we can, maybe we can't. And I'm trying to work with partners to get capital or funding to help me run pilots, basically. I will let you know what the results are. Let me know if this interests you, especially if you're around Central Texas, and that will help. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> we'll see how this goes.